Hey everybody, welcome to the Calhoun Ward Living Histories Podcast. I am your host, John Phillips, a member of the Calhoun Ward. Let's dive in and learn more about our ward members. Hello, my name is Joseph Player. Um, it is 2022 and I am a new member of the Calhoun Ward in Georgia. Um, I was born in North Carolina, Asheville. Um, I lived there till I was about four, but I was mostly raised in Roswell, Georgia. So the world, how the world was when I was young. Um, I was born in the, uh, in 1990. So I grew up a 90s baby. And um, the world was very interesting because I grew up in a unified, what seemed like a unified society. Uh, I grew up and it, it felt like there was no issues, there was no race issues, there was no problems between religions, everybody was getting along, and it was just this miraculous time that the 90s was amazing, and everybody was inclusive, and there was girl power, and just all these positive messages through the media, and, um, but as I grew older, and we got past the 90s and started the 2000s. Um, it, it was learning about history and realizing that the 90s was a relatively exclusive new time and that before the 90s, the world had a lot of troubles and it was a lot more tumultuous than I had thought. And civil rights had, hadn't even been around for the most long period of time. Um, so it was, it was kind of jarring because it felt like I was kind of, uh, put into like a fairyland where everything was perfect. And then when I grew up and after 2001, it was like the world kind of crashed and that, that fantasy world broke and it became real that people have problems and sometimes people don't get along and, um, some people might have been misbehaving and it was bringing forth these behaviors and learning how to get get along better. Um, the 2000s was interesting, but I mostly remember the 90s and just the pop culture and the cartoons and just how, how exciting the world seemed. It seemed perfect, but growing up, it just, I realized that it was, it was almost a group of parents were trying to protect us. And it was a good thing, it was a good experience, but at the same time, when you're not told the truth, it is kind of jarring when you come out of that, 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 small, that small bubble. Uh, describing my, my mother, my father, my siblings. Um, so my mother is Mexican. Uh, she's first generation uh, uh, to come to the United States. Um, she came over for study programs when she was younger and then permanently moved to the United States when she went to BYU. Uh, my mom met my dad at BYU um, and when they got married, uh, I was probably in my early ages, I don't remember, it was early 90s that she became a full-fledged citizen. So um, she's, She's uh, 
very much uh, Mexican and she loves her heritage. Uh, she's a Spanish, she was a Spanish teacher uh, for most of my life and um, she loved her heritage. Uh, she would do a lot of traditional cultural things with, with the church and her schooling. So uh, I got to participate in that when I was growing up. My dad uh, is a, a farm boy that grew up on a tobacco farm in South Carolina. Um, his family had lived in South Carolina for generations. So um, as far as I'm aware, him and his siblings were the first time his family decided to, to leave South Carolina and spread around the country. Uh, a lot of families in Utah and uh, my dad's lived in multiple places like Delaware and around the country. Um, I have two older sisters, an older brother and a younger brother. Um, my eldest sister lives in Utah. Um, she has six kids and she went to BYU and she's very happy and content in Utah. Um, my second eldest sister um, she was very into theater and she loved music, but uh, unfortunately she passed away in 2014, I do believe, to pancreatic cancer, which was uh, very sad. Um, and I had an elder brother that passed away before I was born, so I never got to know him, but um, I was the son that came after him, so uh, my parents were very... Uh, very uh, close to me and protective of me because they had just lost their, their firstborn son. Um, my younger brother, um, he's rambunctious. Uh, he loves music and art and he's, he's very outgoing and always the loudest in the room. And uh, he's doing his own thing and he's a creative mind. Uh, we don't really talk as much anymore, but. Uh, uh, to a certain degree, I felt like I kind of raised him a little bit because my mom started working when I was in second grade. So a lot of responsibility fell on me to watch my younger brother and make sure that he was doing the right thing. Um, my family relationship, though, was uh, kind of tense. Uh, growing up, I didn't really notice that I wasn't seeing the social cues that my parents were getting along and they weren't, and they were having a tough time. And uh, it showed, um, my mother was in charge of the household and my dad was always working, so we, we hardly ever saw my dad. But uh, when I was 18, they got a divorce and I later learned that they weren't having, there were so many problems in our family that were happening because they weren't getting along and at that point, I had talked to them and I said, I would, have, I would have preferred that you guys had been happy than you trying to work together when you weren't happy in the same household. But that was just my opinion because I really wanted my dad and my mom to be happy because they always seemed on edge and there was a lot of yelling all the time and my mom was eccentric and always upset. So. Uh, when you're a kid, you think, you, you start to blame yourself. You think that's, that you might be doing something wrong. And then 
you don't really realize that family politics are involved and there's bigger things going on. Um, I don't have the strongest relationship with my mom anymore, um, but that's just because uh, her behavior just isn't the best to be around. Um, my dad, I do communicate well with. Um, he's a wonderful guy. He's always been an upstanding and decent guy, and he's always been there for me uh, financially and supportive-wise, but um, he's he was never the emotional type. Uh, emotions really weren't conversations that we had or things that we dealt with. So. Um, I can probably still count how many times he's told me he's proud of me on my fingers, but uh, those those few times that he did really counted and really meant a lot to me because he was so reserved and just so stoic all the time. But um, I do love my family, and they're who I grew up with, and we've jumped many hurdles together, and I'm glad that I grew up with who I grew up with. So a few things that stood out to me in my childhood um, that I can remember is uh, the real vivid ones were uh, my mom teaching students or uh, youth uh, traditional Mexican dances in the garage. So um, she was very much into cultural participation and learning about her history since she was an immigrant. Um, and I would just watch them practice in the garage and it was a fun fun thing to do and then inevitably when I got older I wanted to participate and I had the opportunity to uh, learn a few uh, cultural dances from Mexico that uh, I got to perform. Uh, I did the Mexican hat dance with my sister when I was probably, I can't remember, maybe 11 years old. Uh, and I really enjoyed that because uh, my, I, I really did appreciate that my mom was so uh, focused on keeping her culture alive. Um, another thing that uh, really stood out to me when I was younger is being exposed to, to the arts in general. Um, my sister was a big theater buff, um, the one that passed away. She loved musicals. Uh, she would go and volunteer at a community playhouse and uh, she would do plays, volunteer plays on the weekends and I just loved uh, chasing after her and watching her do her thing and um, it gave me a passion for theater and for the arts and um, kind of influenced me to uh, stick to the arts. Um, I, I, I like drawing and painting and the fine arts, and I also love music. Music's a, a big passion of mine. And then um, one last memory that really stands out to me is, uh, it's kind of corny, but uh, it's Burger King, um, because my dad would always take us to Burger King every Saturday. And that was the, the few moments that I would always get to spend with him, because I wouldn't really get to see him during the week. And um, it was just my favorite time because, I don't know, he was kind of emotionally distant and it felt like he wasn't there most of the time because my mom was in charge of everything. So 
those few moments that I did have special times with him, even if it was in silence or just over a burger and eating together, it, it meant a lot to me. And those are cherished memories that I have of my dad. In my teen years, uh, I was I was a bit of a a mixed kid in my my uh, pursuits and ideas, I guess. Because growing up socially amongst the other kids, I was the goody two shoes, the one that never did anything wrong and wasn't willing to take risks because I was afraid of breaking the rules and. Uh, always, always following what, what the church was teaching and just trying to be a good person. But then at the same time, that was heavily influenced by how strict and sheltered I was. Um, my mom was always vetting and filtering who I could hang out with. And most of the time I wasn't allowed to hang out with anybody. So on one side, I was the kid that never did anything wrong, but at the other side, I had this inner teenage angst that I wanted to get out of the house and be free and make my own decisions and make my own mistakes. And uh, I got into like punk rock and uh, tried to find, kept trying to find music that made me feel liberated when I could and I'd hide it from my mom because she was just super um, strict on what I was able to consume. Um, socially. I did have some friends, but I didn't really have a big friend group. Um, I was, I was, I was caught in between the English speaking ward and the Spanish speaking ward, and my mom forced us to go to the Spanish speaking, and I was, I was heavily influenced into the Hispanic culture, and. It just, it left a confusion because I wanted to be both. And um, since the English speaking ward members and everybody at school was speaking English, like it just, it distanced me from them. So it was hard to make friends. Um, I was a pretty decent student, um, A's and B's. Uh, I didn't really like studying. Um, I would always do the bare minimum and uh, just get by. I was more of a bookworm. I would, I would spend time reading books um, than, than studying. The family relationships that had the most impact on my life um, are usually not the immediate family, like my, my cousins and my aunts and my grandparents had the most effect on me. Um, because coming from a mixed home where my dad was super American, English, and Southern, and my mom being very Mexican, um, it was, it was learning two sides of two different types of people. And uh, my Hispanic side, uh, my Mexican family was all about being culturally uh, invested and being pride, uh, not prideful, but proud of who you were. And um, 
and being firm in what you believe in and always being presentable. And then my dad's side, them being Southern and just Southern hospitality and just more relaxed because they grew up on a farm and they didn't have much stuff. Um, my dad's family was just always caring, always, always passionate and always understanding uh, despite what you did. And it was very embracing uh, compared to how scrutinizing the, the Mexican side of my family was. Uh, my, my aunt, my aunt Linda that lives in Duluth, she's, she was a wonderful influence in my life because being part of my dad's family, um, she was looking out for me because she always knew that our family was having a tough time and she would be one of the only family members that would go out of the way to make sure that we were okay or we had a message like she would tell us that she was thinking about us or do something small like give us a gift uh, when we weren't really participating much in the family get-togethers. So she always made it a consistent effort to make sure that we knew we were being thought about and that's just a special thing because being stuck in that immediate family and not contacting too, too many people on the outside, you forget that there's always people looking out for you and caring for you and they're not, they can't always be there. I did go to college. Uh, right out of high school, I went straight to Georgia State and did a few years there and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just participating in activities. Um, at, uh, I was part of the breakdance team for a while and then um, I helped a few friends. I was a co-founder for a clothing, uh, clothing they were designing clothing and they created a group company that they were, they wanted to be fashion designers to a certain extent. Um, and I helped like found their group and we started doing cultural events because they believed it wasn't just clothing that was changing people's lives, that it was learning about each other and getting along. So it got to a point where we were setting out monthly events at venues where uh, people could bring in their own artwork and uh, indie, uh, musicians could come in and perform and share culture and so many people of different backgrounds came in and it was just a multicultural experience that uh, was, was fun to do because it was kind of like what my mom had prepared me for was sharing culture and, and embracing it. But uh, after a while, I didn't know what I wanted to do with school, so I was working, and my younger brother was struggling in high school. So I took off and uh, stopped going to college for a while and took my brother in, and he lived with me. And uh, I got him to finish high school, and then I got him to join a uh, certificate school to a degree and he got a certification before I went back to school. So 
I tried my best to make sure that he was set uh, living-wise with education and his background before I decided to go back to school. And when I decided to go back to school, I went to Southern Polytechnic, uh, and it was in Marietta. And I wanted to do an art degree because they had an interesting art degree called New Media Arts. And New Media Arts was basically a well-rounded degree of fine arts and then uh, how we use uh, digital arts and technology to do jobs nowadays. So graphic design and film and uh, web design uh, were a few things that I studied. Um, and basically they said uh, art degrees, they can't prepare you for what type of job you would have. So their main focus was to give you as many well-rounded skills as possible so you could fit anywhere with your degree once you graduated. So um, I graduated from Kennesaw because Kennesaw bought Southern Poly my senior year. So I ended up graduating from Kennesaw State with a degree in New Media Arts. Starting my professional career, um, the first career-driven job that I got out of college was up here in Dalton uh, for Mohawk Industries. And um, it was an internship, and I was maybe driving an hour and a half to work and back home every day for about six months. And uh, I was training with them and learning uh, how to do 2D and 3D renderings for them. So what I would do is I would create um, floor plans and place different designs of the types of carpet that we sold. And I would design it and then uh, create a blueprint on how to install that carpet into that area. And then we would do estimates and provide them for estimates so they could purchase the material. And then another part was uh, 3D rooms, so we would get pictures of rooms they wanted previews of, and we'd cut out the floor and then put in uh, a simulated image of the carpet in the room. And uh, that kind of started my career up here in the, the carpet industry of the U.S. and in the South in Georgia. Um, the textiles, working with textiles. Um, so I started with that, and after a few years, um, I decided to move on to something else. And uh, I took another internship to learn AutoCAD. And uh, after learning AutoCAD, I ended up in the artificial turf industry. And right now, I work with artificial turf, and I design sports fields for high schools and colleges. Um, I've done one NFL practice field. Um, which is, I think it's pretty cool because those are rare to come by. Um, and I'm enjoying it. Um, I designed the field and then I cut it up into pieces. Uh, I, I set up a list of how, how to manufacture and what needs to be manufactured so the field can be made. And then I create blueprints and instructions for how to piece those pieces of 
artificial turf together so they can make the 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 sports field properly and have all the standard lines and regulations that they need um, for that school. And uh, I enjoy it a lot. It's it's a lot of fun, and um, it's a good job. My hobbies and what I like to do for fun. Um, I have pretty straightforward, uh, stereotypical hobbies, I guess. I'm, I'm an artist. I enjoy drawing. I pencil, pen, uh, charcoal. I paint uh, acrylic and oil. Um, I'm not that good at watercolors, but watercolors are fun. Um, I enjoy reading a lot of fiction books, science fiction. Um, and making music, if it has a string, if, if it has strings, I can probably pick it up and mess around and make some music with it. Um, sometimes I'll write songs and, and try and do my own songs, but I don't really share those. It's more just a fun thing to do on my own. Um, I do a lot of writing um, uh, in journals and then fictional writing, uh, just short stories that I come up with and keep to myself that I might publish eventually in the future. Um, I like building things, uh, like sculpting, I like messing around with clay and making figures. Uh, if I had the resources, I'd, I'd love to do metal castings and stuff like that. Um, a recent hobby that I picked up is stickers. So I feel like stickers have been underrated and nobody ever does anything with stickers. And I, I used to think they were so much fun when I was younger. So I bought a few empty sketchbooks and bought a bunch of random brand stickers and band stickers and logos and just making collages out of the stickers in the books. And I think that's been a lot of fun. But um, yeah. Um, I do like playing board games. Um, I've had a few friends groups that like to play d and um, I'm not that big into video games anymore, but if there's one that catches my eye, I'll probably play it. Um, but other than that, yeah, just mostly artsy stuff and being creative and crafty. My conversion story, I guess, or my coming to the gospel of Christ is interesting, not not normal, I guess you could say. Um, I was born and I grew up in the church, but um, due to family issues and the way that um, the morals and teachings of the church weren't really necessarily taught properly at home, that uh, I had issues growing up excuse me, issues growing up with, um, I guess, not necessarily my faith, but with the church and then my community. And um, I grew up believing in Jesus Christ because that's what I grew up knowing. Um, and I just accepted it. And when I got to be 18, um, I knew that they were going to probably ask me to go on a mission soon and uh, I didn't know what to do because I did believe in God but um, 
I was having trouble because at that young age, I was going to like EFY and all these different camps and I was watching other members and it just didn't seem like they were taking the church seriously. And it didn't feel like they were following the rules. And that disdain might in part be the way my mom raised me. She was, she was overzealous and too extreme with, with her, with her beliefs of how someone should behave. But um, I didn't know if I could go on a mission and preach about something that I didn't know if I actually had faith in. So I just decided to go to school instead. And I, I think about it later. Um, so I stopped going to church and my parents got a divorce um, the night of my graduation. My mom asked for a divorce and it just, my whole family life fell apart and I just didn't want to think about church and uh, I just wanted to live my life and just forget my past. So I ran off to college and I always had my belief in God. Um, I had a strong, strong faith in spirituality and objective morality and doing the right thing and being a good person. And I did my own studies. I would, I, I studied every religion I could. I studied every culture that I could and just learned much, as much about spirituality and different people's perspectives of spirituality as I could. Um, and it just got to a point where I just fell away and I didn't want anything to do with the church anymore. And I didn't want to do, have anything to do with religion anymore, uh, period. So um, I had my records removed uh, in my early 20s, probably around 24, 25. Um, and it was, I think it was mostly a trauma response. Um, I just had gone through so much abuse and trauma that um, I just didn't believe positive things could be real. I didn't believe people could be behaving. Um, and all that I had was myself and my relationship with, with what I believed God was. So I kind of fell off and went on my own journey um, from that standpoint, my own spiritual journey. And when I left the church, it, it just felt like my, my life bombed. I just started hitting travesty after travesty. And all of these horrible negative things started happening to me. And my life started just getting worse and worse. And I didn't understand what was going on. And even though all of these terrible, bad things were happening to me, there was always a light or a beacon at the end of that situation. And I would get by, by the skin of my teeth, just barely making it through. But when I made it through, I would look back and it just, it always felt like there was someone watching the situation, watching over me, and even though it was a terrible thing to go through, someone had almost planned an escape route for me. So there was always an out. 
And to me, those were signs of Heavenly Father watching. Um, he was there protecting me. And I always felt like my faith and my belief that there was a higher power was providing me these escape routes and these opportunities to uh, get out of these terrible conflicts that I was falling into. And then in the last few years, these last few past years, the just the bad behavior from people and being being mistreated and just these negative situations that kept happening just got terribly worse. And it was just such a consistent thing that was happening. And prayer was the only thing that was getting me through these situations. And it finally got to a point that I was seeing these synchronicities in my life, these, these outs, these escape moments that always seemed to carry a message with them. And each message was just something new that I would hold on to. And after listening to those messages and really contemplating it, I said, I really, I do believe this could be the Holy Ghost or this could be God speaking to me, telling me that he is watching and he is taking care of me. And when I accepted that and really accepted that God was there and he was helping me, things changed drastically and I focused on my communication with him and it felt like I developed a very sincere and direct relationship with Heavenly Father. And then a few months ago, it was just earnest prayer. What do I need to do? How do I need to show Heavenly Father that I'm being humble and I sincerely like I, I serve his his greater plan. What 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 can I do to show you, dear Lord, that I do hear you and I'm seeing the way you move the world to help and protect me from what's happening to me. And um it was just a clear direct message and it said, I need you to go and do the one thing that you never thought you would go and do. Uh, something that you probably wouldn't ever do. And I asked him, what is it? He says, I need you to go get baptized. I need you to go back to the church. And he said that because you left the church, you became vulnerable. And I can only protect you in so many ways if you're not with the herd. And it was just a jaw-dropping moment because it was just, I didn't know how to feel about it. But at the same time, it was such a simple thing. It was just, go get baptized and everything will be fine. And... At that point, I just, I knew I had a relationship with the Lord, and to deny that statement and to deny that quest would just be foolish, because I knew that's exactly what he was asking of me. So, um, I made an intention to, 
talk to the elders and I came to church and started talking to them and uh, in a few short weeks I got baptized and I honestly did it because I don't I have this relationship with Heavenly Father but um and I do take Christ as something that we need to believe in, but I, I my my relationships with, with God. And God's telling me that a relationship with Jesus Christ is important. So I take that at face value and it's something that I need to do. It's something I need to obey. And um, going through baptism really brought me to this realization that uh, the church is a safe place and that um, renewing these covenants and going back and renewing what I had already known and accepting it for what it was and realizing that people have their flaws and people have their own problems and we all make mistakes and other people don't dictate our relationship with Heavenly Father that uh, it was very simple and it was a very easy thing to come back to the church because I don't know the church just always has had a feeling of safety and a feeling of a community and an ability to bring about the feeling of the spirit that I haven't been able to feel anywhere else so when I was told this message that I'd be safe after baptism, I truly believed it with everything in my heart. And since the day I got baptized, I feel like I've been in a different world. I've, I've felt a shift in, in everything around me. and I haven't felt the negativity that I used to feel before. And I feel comforted and I do feel safer. And, I mean, I still have my fears, and I still have my doubts, and um, I don't know everything about the church, even though I grew up in it. Um, I do know that my faith in Christ and my faith in God brought me to a safe place, and that's the most important thing to me, because I was tired of feeling attacked and tired of feeling like I was always in danger. A few experiences that helped me trust in God, I mean, there's a lot because I've, I don't know, I, I guess I've just been susceptible to spiritual things from a young age, and I don't know why. Um, when I was seven years old, um, when I was seven, I, it was the first time I understood what the name of the church meant, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that these were the latter days, and we were the last saints, and um, inevitably the Second Coming would be here. And I read about what the Second Coming was and in the Bible, and being such so young, I didn't I didn't understand everything, but it, it terrified me. It sounded like a, a scary, horrible thing that was going to happen, but needed to happen because of God's plan. So 
at seven years old, I was I was praying to God to survive the end times, um, to survive and make it to the second coming. And um, I've always held on to spiritual moments like that. And I've seen things that I can't understand, um, that other people can't understand. And the only thing that I hold to heart is that they, to me, I interpret them to be miracles. Um, I've had near-death experiences where I most definitely shouldn't be here. Um, I was in a car wreck. Um, I was working night shift for a lot of years. and One morning, I just, I was too tired and I fell asleep at the wheel. And uh, I got into a wreck, a really bad wreck. And um, I woke up right before I hit the car in front of me. And as I hit the car, it was like the entire world slowed down. And it felt like an angel picked me up. And just moved me. Sorry. Just moved me a few inches to the left. And it didn't make sense. And I'm not the smartest guy, but like, I like to think I know how physics works. Work. And it just didn't make sense what happened, how I could have just been picked up and moved over just a few inches. And I think something saved me. And I can only see it as a miracle. And it's just moments like those that I've had, ex that I've experienced in my life that just makes me look out for those divine messages that the Lord may be moving around and hoping that we might catch them if we're paying attention. And um, they've really developed my spirituality and I think that's why I have a really strong relationship with God. What do I love most about the Calhoun Lord? Well, you guys accepted me. That's that's the main thing. You, you guys have embraced me and welcomed me into your ward wholeheartedly and quickly. Um, you guys helped me get through the process of baptism rather quickly. That, that was fun. Um, and uh, you guys are a very small ward. Excuse me, I, I like that a lot. Um, smaller close-knit communities get to know each other better and you're able to help each other be more amiable is that the right word that more considerate and friendly towards each other because you know each other on a personal level um i've seen really big wards and sometimes there's a lot of positivity that can be lost because not everyone's being communicated with at, at the best level, but uh, I do enjoy the Calvin Lord. One message for the future, or whoever listens to this, is um, I guess the biggest thing is being flawless is not important. Um, the the 
the class that we had the Sunday right after I was baptized. Um, I think Brother Duran gave it. Um, but it was, worthiness is not flawlessness. And uh, I think when we're trying to do our best, we want to appease Heavenly Father, and we always want to do the right thing, and we want to good, be good people. But it's about remembering that we're in a flawed state. We don't have perfect bodies like Heavenly Father in Christ right now. And we're going to make mistakes. And the biggest problem growing up in my household was you weren't allowed to make mistakes. And you were not allowed to have flaws. And that really hurt me. And it really messed up my relationship with the church. And uh, the church does preach that we're, we're not perfect. We have flaws. So the best thing about not being flawless is we get to learn how to be compassionate to others. And being compassionate to everyone around you is important, but also you need to be able to be merciful to yourself. You have to be able to forgive yourself for making mistakes. So learning to have that compassion for yourself and for others is what unifies us and brings us to a closer community. And to be compassionate, you need to have communication. And communication, I believe, is one of the most powerful tools of Heavenly Father. So as long as we're communicating and being humble and interacting at a, a sincere and personal um, level with everyone, I'm, I'm not really concerned about other people's. Maybe you have problems with faith. I've, I've had my problems with faith. But in the end, if you have people that are compassionate and understand that people make mistakes and we're allowed to make mistakes, um, we can always be safe and be in a community that actually cares about each other. And that's the most important thing. Um, I really do believe the, the church is a safe place, and um, it's where I want to be right now, and it's, it's really been a positive experience for me. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed the personal history and stories presented today, and most of all, I hope it has brought you closer to another member of our ward.